when we first got the 27001 um certification we announced it i was in glasgow at the time and we announced it in an uh, uh, with me on the speaker in a room full of people who were having another meeting which was nothing to do with 27001 it was our college engagement forum and they all cheered because it was such an organizational effort this isn't fiona's standard this is e-serve standard and certification so it's across the board and they all felt the pinch and they all felt the pressure and they all put the work in that they needed to do and they all cheered and it's like that's a sense of pride to me bringing you the stories behind the standards this is the BSI education podcast with Matthew Childs, Alan Sellers and Cindy Parogill Today's episode is on standards and certification. Now, that is someone very excited, Cindy, isn't it? Yeah, you can really hear the joy in her voice. Now, what you heard there was a snippet of my conversation with Fiona Linton, Information Security and Business Continuity Manager at eServe Chartered Surveyors, talking about the announcement of her company's certification to ISO 27001 the standard for information security management, and what certification does that standard means, both to her and the company. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs, Educational Development Manager at BSI, and I am with... Cindy Parakil, International Projects Manager, also of BSI. Now, to those of you listening to us for the very first time, welcome and thank you. And to those of you not listening to us for the first time, welcome back and thank you too. And for those of you who are regular listeners or pals of the pod, Cindy's, I think we should call them from now on. I like that. Well, that's just awesome. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And this episode is about standards and certification. As well as hearing more from Fiona, we'll also bring you conversations I had with Amanda Woodhead, a BSI lead auditor for ISO 27001, sharing her insights into the auditing process for organisations looking to be certified against standards, and Matt Gantley, Chief Executive of UCAS, the UK accreditation service, about the certification industry generally. Also in this episode, our regular Standards Desk of News makes a return with the latest stories about standards and featuring standards, including those out for public consultation. And if you're a young engineer wishing to get involved in standards making or a postgraduate looking to develop a research project that involves standardization, then listen out for information about how BSI can help. But first, a quick reminder that for more information on BSI education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. This link and others on the themes raised in this episode can be found in the episode notes. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes or even ideas for future episodes, then please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. So in this episode, we are looking at the relationship between standards and certification, what it is, how it works and why organisations do it. Now, it's perfectly acceptable for organisations to buy and then use standards to design and implement management systems and processes. But for lots of standards, organisations can also choose to certify against them. Now, Cindy, you know I am prone to the odd diversion when I hear certain words or phrases. Uh (laughs) Now, the last time this happened was back in episode 18, 
when we looked at the future of standards, when one of our guests described himself as a complexity vortex. (laughs) And we both know where that ended up. Oh, yes. A rather deep dive into the relationship between standards and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think there was one more. Yes, the making the perfect cup of tea. And I think that one spilled over into more than one episode, if I recall correctly. Yes, and how can you forget it? And of course, it was very important information. And for anyone in any doubt, it is milking first. Well, here comes another little diversion. When I hear the word certify, my mind jumps immediately to thoughts of Mancunian singer Ian Brown and his song Stellify from his 2009 album My Way. Now, Cindy, I'm assuming that it's exactly the same for you, right? Cindy, former Stone Roses frontman, Ian Brown, Stellify, Certify... While we leave Matthew to his whimsical music diversion, we should say that we first touched on the issue of certification back in episode 19 in one of our Spotlight on Standards episodes, and that was for ISO 27001. Now, in that episode, we referred to 12,000 organizations globally being certified to that standard, obviously important as cyber attacks are becoming more common. And according to ISO's latest figures, over 1.3 million certificates are in effect worldwide. But without doubt, the clear winner is 9001 for quality management, which accounts for 65% of all certificates. And this is closely followed by 14001 for environmental management, 45001 on occupational health and safety, and 22000 for food safety. Cindy, it's okay. I'm back now. The whimsical musical diversion has passed. (laughs) But before we go any further, Cindy, we should probably clarify what we actually mean by certification. The process of certification involves an accredited third-party certification body assessing an organization in order to ascertain that their management systems meet the requirements of a standard. The central idea behind certification is that it promotes continual improvement and ensures that an organization's processes are constantly being reviewed and refined to ensure effectiveness and efficiency. Essentially, certification can be seen as a form of communication along the supply chain. The certificate demonstrates to the buyer that the supplier complies with certain standards, which might be more convincing than if the supplier itself provided the assurance. To ensure that the certification bodies have the capacity to carry out certification programs, they themselves are evaluated and accredited by an authoritative body. Now, this is an episode in three parts. In part three, we'll hear from Matt Gantley, UCAS Chief Executive, with his overview of the certification industry. In part two, we'll hear from Amanda Woodhead, BSI Lead Auditor for ISO 27001, with her insights on the certification process from an external auditor perspective. But in this first part, we hear again from Fiona Linton. For the past five years, Fiona has been Information Security and Business Continuity Manager at eServe Chartered Surveyors. For almost 30 years, eServe has been helping people to buy and sell houses. 
With over a thousand employees, including a network of over 600 surveyors, they offer residential surveying expertise across the UK. And since 2006, they've been part of the LSL Property Services Group. I started by asking Fiona about the company's overall approach to using standards. So prior to me joining eServe in 2016, uh, the company had already um, been um, certified to 9001 for quality management. And that really is to make sure that the services um, and products that we're delivering have a quality wrap around them. Um, and that can be anything from um, our um, our surveying, our booking, our experience with vulnerable customers and what we do about that, um, uh, fraud, bribery, corruption that we all have to report on if we see that, and that kind of standardised training throughout our surveyors for them to, you know, pick this up. So the quality management was really quite set, was the first certificate that we had. Um, prior to me joining eServe, there were a number of clients that were asking us to First of all, it started off being aligned to the 27,001 standard. Um, but then um, as time has gone on, it's to be certified to that standard. And that's when I was brought into the organization, um, thankfully, because it's a cracking place to work. Um, and I joined in September 2016. So they'd already made the decision at a top management level to seek certification to that 27,001 standard. Uh, from there, um, we've seen um, a difference in the audit, not the audit, the uh, contractual requirements where um, currently we're in a situation where we're seen to be aligned to 22301, the business continuity standard. But I think that in the next, you know, kind of year, 18 months, that's going to change to be certified to. Uh, so that's the reason why we sought certification to that standard. And as our organization is very much field-based, um, the priority in anything that we do at eServe is our people and our health and safety around those people. So the health and safety team um, who do an absolutely brilliant job, and I've got a lot to do with looking after 600 lone workers. Um, and and all, all the work... Um, and focus that our health and safety manager has put on that to create this secure environment uh, was more around that we'd got the experience um, and we'd already implemented a brilliant framework. Um, and then it was felt then that we would go to be certified to that standard. So there's slightly... There's slightly different approaches to each standard that we've had, really. One was a contractual requirement. Uh, one was because it was um, the right thing to do. One is because we can see that standard coming up later on in uh, client contractual agreements. And one was because we'd already got a really great health and safety structure in place. You said that the different routes, there's sort of different drivers there. And you mentioned some of the standards, uh, 9001 and 27001 and others. And I want to come back to the, the, the particular certification of against those. But just back to the company then. So although it's been driven by different sort of external needs, how has the company approached uh, those external drivers? So I work in the risk and government, um, risk and governance department at eServe. Uh, 
And I think that's been driven by a number of people um, prior to me there. So one would be the managing director um, that, that has taken that through down to the risk and governance director. Uh, or it could be a bit of both. Or it could be that the um, business development director has seen a change in what the um, clients are asking for. Uh, so there can be there, there can be a number of reasons of why, um, but all in all, since I've been there, so I look after two standards. I look after twenty seven thousand and one and twenty two three hundred one, um, and we've always had. I, I'm, I know I'm very lucky, but I've always had that top management support in deciding that's the standard that we're going to go after, asking me to, you know, implement a framework that's going to get us there and that will result in a positive certification at the end of it. But it's always driven top management down. So when you've got um, a number of departments who are all very busy, they've all they've, they've already got the instruction that, that we are going for this and, and you will be required to help support and implement that. Now, you've mentioned, uh, you mentioned five standards. So we've got 9,001, 27,001, 45,001 and 22,301. Corrections corner, I clearly can't count. That'll be four standards, not five. Obviously, you could just buy those. You could uh, look at the standards themselves and apply them to your organisation. So I'm interested as why you didn't just do that, but why you felt actually we need to be certified against them as well. A lot of the key drivers really are, especially with information security and health and safety, is that one, it's the right thing to do. If you're going to look after and empower your people to um, drive this culture of information security um, or all the regulatory issues that you have around health and safety, it cannot be the responsibility of one person. So what it does, it then starts embedding a culture um, across the organisation with all departments and all people. Um, so there's a couple of reasons for that. One is it's the right thing to do. One is it gives us the basis of a really great framework to start with um, of that we can build our maturity against. Um, don't get me wrong, uh, you know, it, it's not easy work to get yourself certified to any standard. There really is a lot of work that goes along in the background to make sure that you've got that. But I think if you've got the driver to do it for its contractual issue, the driver to do it because it's the right thing to do, the driver to do it because um, it gives you a framework to position yourself on of where you are and what you need to do to be at, at a standard. Um, and also it gives you the leverage then to increase your maturity against that standard. I've always said just to get certified, it actually isn't the work. The work is to maintain it um, and embed it and continuously improve on it. Because especially with the 27,001, that technology or or your resource or your expertise or whatever it is that you need, needs to be continuously improved. Just to take take us inside that process in a bit. I mean, let's let's stick with twenty seven thousand and one. You said there that uh, uh, the certification isn't isn't the whole story, and I, that's a, that's re really nice to hear. What about the actual experience of going through the certification process or the audit process to be certified against ISO twenty seven thousand one? Give us some insights into what what it, what it was like to go through that process. How long did it take? Who's involved? That sort of thing. 
Okay, so uh, I joined eServe in September 2016, and we'd already got a consultant. They'd already got a consultant in um, to drive that certification through. Um, so I came in kind of halfway. So I joined in the September, and the certification was issued to us in the, if that's the right word, in January. So there was a lot of work to do, um, and it's also about bringing people along that journey with you. Um, I I quite like the standard because it, I think it gives you a focus and it gives you, you know, you can. It, it's not just all a load of words. It's like the the, the best thing about twenty seven thousand and one is it's Annex A. Now, just to jump in here, Fiona has mentioned Annex A. Now, the standard ISO twenty seven thousand and one takes a risk based approach to information security. This requires organisations to identify information security risks and select appropriate controls to tackle them. These controls are outlined in Annex A of the standard. There are 114 Annex A controls divided into 14 categories. So you've got these Annex A controls, so you, which is all split out for you. So really, you've got, say, like, you know, the HR um part of the Annex A, you can you can literally then go, right, do I do PES checks? If I do, what's the SLA on them? How many have I got? How many are returned? How many were rejected? And then that first part of it actually kicks off numerous different other work streams. So, for example, you start off by employing somebody. They need to have kit. So, that then triggers off a JML process. Um, they they need an induction. They need an induction within two weeks within our company, um, of which information security is built into that induction, as well as health and safety, and as well as business continuity. Um, and then you've got an annual compliance form <clears throat> um, for annual compliance against policy. And then you've got annual online training. And then you've got all the other great work around information awareness. Um, and then if you even just take that first one through, um, you know, human resources, is that it then goes all the way through to mo the movers part of it. What access rights do they have? Have they got the right access rights? Do we need to take any away? So you've built a framework around that piece. And then you've got all the levers. So when's your account going to get disabled? Um, when, you know... And that can be through a norm, just a normal leaving process or even a disciplinary process. So, you know, you just take the first part of that of human resources, which might look like, you know, four actions to take on the Annex A. But actually, it kicks off a whole load and whole stream of other pieces of work. So if you if you take that and you work that process through and work out at which points in that process, uh, you can implement something. You can implement something as a minimum. You can implement something as a um, continuous improvement. Um, you can take results of any incidents that you've had and whether or not that's going to tell you that you've got a problem somewhere or you need to embed further control. So, it, so you can have your certification, but this is about improving it and continuously improving it over time. Um, and I also think that um, we all get a little, we can all get a little bit precious, can't we, about our jobs and, and what we do and how important we are and when the ego takes over. But actually, 
if you've brought your culture along, all of those points in that journey, you will have people who will respect what you do and implement what you do and embed it and teach others. So there's, you know, it's def- definitely multifaceted. You know, there's don't underestimate just that little section on HR kicks off a lot of other annex controls. Um, sometimes I think people think information security is IT. And yes, it is IT, but then most businesses run off an IT platform. So, but we're not, we're not an information security business um, that does surveying. We're a surveying business that has embedded information security. I think it's something that came up, actually. We we did a podcast on ISO 27001 a few episodes ago, uh, and that came up about its applicability to all sorts of organisations, no matter mm. how small or large, and no matter what sector they're working in. You described beautifully there, I think, the sort of cultural change and the behaviours that change as you use one particular standard or develop a framework, and then it allows you to then introduce other standards into the business. Mm. I just wanted to flip it to the, to the external, um, looking outside again. How do you think being certified against this bundle of standards here has changed the perception of e-serve in the market? Either you, you anecdotally you understand that, or do you have any evidence to show that it has actually changed how competitors see you and how clients see you in the marketplace? Well, I think with our client database, um, you know, they're, they're financial um, organisations. So they have, um, perhaps not the 27,001 standard, but they'll have um, standards that they need to be assured against with the, you know, FCA. FCA, that's the Financial Conduct Authority. So they're then going to take it down to their supplier management as well. So one of the things that I think with with standards, especially with 27,001, a lot of the, the um, contracts that we see, it's a prerequisite that you are, you do, you are certified to 27,001. It, it, it's not even an alignment to. So if you're seeking new business or maintaining business that you've got already, that certificate is, well, immeasurable, really. It, you know, there is a, there's a finance piece that's to it. You know, it's about getting, you know, the business that we want. I suppose there's an example there, isn't it, of where, uh, as that starts to take hold within a sector, is raising the standards of the entire sector. Yes, I think it is. Um, but also is that, you know, banks and building societies, they've got a right to know what their suppliers are doing. They've got a right to know that the information that they pass through to us is secure and it's looked after. Um, there are controls around it. Whether, you know, do they work, don't they? I get audited on average about once a month from one of our major clients. So, what 27,000 would do is to build a framework that will support that, yeah, that they're already looking for. But they'll also come with their own additional audit requirements or attestation requirements from me. So, that to me, they both work, they work hand in hand, really. But we don't, we don't, and we never have rested on our laurels that just because we've got um, certification that we're great. You know, it's a constant continuous improvement and rechecking our controls and rechecking our culture and what what are we learning from this you know if if something's happened you know what are we learning from it um so if i give you an example so if you take physical security yeah um 
obviously physical security in a bank or a building society is going to be, you know, well, embedded to the hilt. Um, we've got physical security and controls in place. So you take that, you put the control in place, whether it's a preventative detective control, um, you embed it, you tell people why you've done it. You know, you've got a lock on the door, you've got pin access, you've got card access, you've got CCTV or whatever you've got. But actually, physical, so that will there'll be deterrence for people um, or preventative measures. But the person that's going to stop tailgating is a human being. Yeah. So if you haven't embedded that and and you don't and they don't understand why or you've empowered them to challenge somebody without being told off all those ramifications of it. Then really, your physical security might be could end up being quite lax. And um, we had a girl actually once that she um, she'd only been in the organization two years and two years, two weeks. And she'd done her induction training and she'd listened very well. I was very so proud of her. And um, she saw, saw somebody that thought might be trying to tailgate her and um, challenged him, but quite forthrightly challenged him. He was looking for his pass in his bag, you know, but he was trying to like, you know, see if he could get in. And um, it happened to be one of our directors. I was about to say, as you were building up to that, I thought, I was like, this, is the, oh this is the chief exec God, here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, she said, um, and, she should, and, and he laughed, you know, because it's exactly the right thing that should have happened. She challenged him, told him he had to press the buzzer, don't come in here, you know. And um, he went down to see her to introduce himself. And she was like, oh, God, I've only been here two weeks. And I was going, please tell me you were nice to her. And he was like, yes, I was, I was. But he, but he said, but the, the thing that made me laugh was he came up to my desk and he went, and I think your information assurance campaign's working. And I said, oh, why is that? Then he went, I've just been rugby tackled to the floor. <laughs> so it was, um, but that gives me, um, that's the test that you've implemented something correctly. You know, obviously, you know, if you come to e-serve and you need to meet us, we're not going to rugby tackle you to the ground. Um, but it was actually all, you know, then you've got the visitors process, you know, and it's like, you know, so we've got badges for them. So we know where they are from a health and safety point of view. And we can, you know, track them down if we have a fire test, fire for real evacuation of a building. You know, there's all these good things that happen that will naturally just happen now. Well, that, that's, know, I mean, that's, um, a, yeah, I mean, that, what you've described, I think, is a, you described the sort of the, the company's overall sort of culture there and about how standards have sort of gathered momentum over the past five or mm. six years in terms of the numbers you're using, but also the way in which you're using them and, and the behavior changes that are taking place within the organization. And you've mentioned of the, obviously, the certification uh, you've, uh, you've undergone against those standards. I just wonder for the future then, given the commitment that he served. Uh, seems to be making in terms of, of standards and certification. Where do you go next? I mean, what's next for standards within ESERV? I think for me, um, 27,001, 22,031, they're the standards I look after. That's why I'm predominantly talking about them. Um, I think that 27,001 is always going to be there. Um, there's always going to be a prerequisite from any contract existing or new. Um, also, it's the right thing to do. Um, and when when you get a, when you get certified because of the way that we've implemented it there really is a um sense of achievement across the organization 
So when we go into the certification process, you know, when Amanda comes along, who's our client manager and audits us, and trust me, you know, you've been audited by her. Um, and then she says, congratulations, you've passed, you know. When we, when we, got, when we first got the 27,001 um, certification, we announced it. I was in Glasgow at the time, and we announced it in an, uh, uh, with me on the speaker in a room full of people who were having another meeting, which was nothing to do with 27,001. It was our college engagement forum. And they all cheered because it was such an organisational effort this isn't Fiona's standard. This is ESERV standard and certification. So it's across the board. And they all felt the pinch and they all felt the pressure and they all put the work in that they needed to do. And they all cheered. And it's like, that's a sense of pride to me. You know, it's a sense of pride that we've achieved that. It's, it, it's, it's not lost on them at all, at all. And then, you you know, you get thanked by... Um, you'll get thanked by the SMT team and the, you know, the MD. And it's just like, you know what, this is, it's almost like it's a thread that runs through eServe. You know, it, it, this, we'll still maintain it. We will still, um, I, I mean, uh, the next thing we need to do is maintain it, keep it embedded, keep it right, keep it relevant, um, apply it to any new technologies or new products and services what we might be thinking of doing. Um, and just so that we've got that security wrap around technological personnel awareness campaigns, it's just throughout the organisation. It really is something to be honest. They never fail to amaze me when they are sat in front of an auditor, when um, he, she is looking at how we've embedded something that they can sit there and say exactly what their role is, exactly what they do, and exactly how they take it. So one of the things that we've done through our e-serve, and, it, and it's been a, a core thought process for me for a number of years now, because you know I was in policing, in the policing sector before this. And one of the struggles I think people find is, how do you get over that message of information security um, when one... Um, you're not like me who thinks it's the best thing on the world. Yeah, you're just, you're, you're, you're you know, you've got a role to play in the organisation. How do, how do I get into that person's head why information security is important? Because there's that old adage, isn't it? It's like security is everybody's responsibility. But unless you actually tell people why it's their responsibility or how it might affect or impact them, you, you, you're kind of, you know, swimming down the long, wrong lane, really. Um, so what we did is um, look at the key areas of information awareness, understanding that we need to embed it from an organisational point of view. But we kind of flipped that on its head, really. And we've done it from a personal point of view in the hope that you will see this and how it affects your personal life. So now you're invested um, and you can go, oh, right, that's what that is. So we've done um, campaigns on uh, Cyber Monday, um, you know, Black Friday when it's all the big shopping experiences, making sure that you're going to a secure site and you're not going to be scammed. We've done a lot of work last year around um, some of the scams that were going around about COVID-19 vaccinations. We've done some, one of my colleagues uh, called me up and asked me about cybersecurity for a, um, like 
uh, a scout age group, you know, like the 10 to 14 year olds. So we can point them in the right direction. We've looked at different campaigns throughout the year. So um, uh, we had a bit of a network issue one day and um, I literally sent out and typed um, a thing of how to securely date online and what you should look for. So this is the personal element that comes into it. And, um, you know, when, you know, our very minor issue had been resolved, the first email that came through was Fiona's Internet Guide to Safe Dating. It wasn't the most popular of people, um, but it was actually really good, you know, and, and, and everyone liked it. And we do a lot around Christmas. We did we did an awareness campaign around the Internet of Things. But when we're looking at bringing that into people's job roles, what we have is um, a whole plethora of um, posters, campaigns like tailgating, visitors access, uh, um, don't leave your seat without click alt delete. And this is a subliminal message that goes throughout all of our awareness. So awareness isn't just a campaign. It's your online training. It's your induction. It's the ongoing awareness that we do. It's on TV screens and it's on a poster campaign throughout all of our office buildings. So you're going to get a repeat of that same message. So it actually gets into you. And the feedback that we've had on that, not only from Amanda, our client manager, but also with, um, you know, some of the big ma major banks have gone, you know, this is absolutely brilliant. And the bit I like about that is that it was driven by a thought. It was um, taken as part of the framework and the certification, but we've increased its maturity and we've got there. And then all of a sudden, when you're looking at a white space on a computer, when you've done Control-Alt-Delete, up pops this security message again. And it's on a rolling platform that shows you a different one every couple of minutes. So that that was good. And that was noticed by you know quite a few of our clients. So that's something to be quite proud of. Um, and another area that we've developed significantly in the last three years is our supplier relationship. Um, and what they're doing about information security and business continuity. So we've completely set up a whole supplier um, program of work, uh, categorized all those suppliers and worked out what it is that we need to be assured from them that they're doing. So, you know, if you're one of our major critical suppliers, you're going to get an attestation of, you know, I think it's about 150 controls that we're after, we're after you to find out what you do. And then you might be a Category 4 supplier that provides um, a cleaning service. Very important, but we don't need to send you 150 questions either. So that's the continuous improvement that we got. What we had was okay, but what we've got now is better by far, by far. And we're quickly, we're quickly able to identify risk with that as well. And that's another thing that our clients are looking at us for. They're calling it fourth-party supplier. Um. So, yeah, there's things that come out all the time, you know, from COVID-19 is an excellent example of that. You know, the whole world switched to business continuity, disaster recovery and what you're going to do with COVID-19. And um, and we were already there. We'd already got it in hand. So, it, it, you know, these these certifications have given us the framework to not only meet a requirement, but also to continuously improve on that. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? 
Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Program can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. We continue our certification story with Amanda Woodhead, BSI Lead Auditor for the standard ISO 27001. I started by asking Amanda to tell me about her own standards journey. I'll start from when I sort of left university, really, because it gives it good context. So having left university back in oh, 1995, the 90s, um, I sort of fell into IT. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I did my degree in management science um, and then kind of went to work for local government and uh, worked my way up their management ladder um, in IT and ended up being towards the latter part, sort of like the last sort of eight to 10 years, um, worked in project and program management, focusing on mainly IT infrastructure, uh, security Um, managing the property portfolio in terms of uh, being the IT lead. So any new builds or decommissioning or refurbishments. Then uh, in 2013, I left um, after nearly 20 years and ran my own business in therapy, um, which was a complete 180 degree turn. Um, It was something I was quite passionate about. But then after about four, five years, uh, I really missed IT weirdly. And it was about the time when GDPR was kicking in and a lot of companies needed some help with that. So I set up my consultancy business and worked locally helping small and medium-sized enterprises with their cyber essentials certifications. And at the time there was separate IASME certification as well. Um, And that's where my interest with 27001 started really. I found that there was a, a massive gap in my sort of expertise and it was something that was really interested in in doing so information security had been sort of weaved into everything I was doing uh, throughout the course of my career at that point and I just thought you know this is right for me this is something I really want to do so funded myself in uh, when was it October 2019 I think it was I went off and did my 27,001 lead auditor course. And that's where my journey with BSI started because you provided me the course and I absolutely loved it. It was a fantastic experience and um, the tutor was brilliant. So at that point, I really wanted to come and work for BSI, but there was no vacancy. Um, So about six months later, um, Fortune favoured and um, I became part of BSI. So I was employed um, uh, in, in not, long, not long after. So yeah, it was good and um, found myself um, auditing companies for 27,001 as part of BSI. So um, I'm now been with the company for nearly two years and, and I absolutely love my work. I love auditing. 
Um, it feels like I'm helping companies make a difference to their business in respect to their information security and other areas. Um, and it's providing that value element that's really key for me. Um, so, yeah, I think I think my clients um, enjoy the experience. So you're now a lead auditor for ISO 27001 for BSI. Can you sort of take us inside that? What does that role involve? Mainly communicating with your clients and um, having that ability to connect with them and understand their issues, help them with their, I can't say, uh, light bulb moments, I guess, with regards to information security. And I think the what I can bring is is having that experience working for private public sector and running my own business. It gives me an all round sort of um, sort of knowledge on you know the the practicalities and the problems that that companies do face, um, especially when you know starting out on their journey to being certified for ISO twenty seven thousand and one. It's not an easy thing to do, um, so helping them understand the standard and what's required is really key. Um, and then looking at clients who have, you know, maintained certification for numbers of years, there's still room for improvement and opportunity to do that. And I think that's that's the real key. It's It's about having that sense of understanding the company and having them sort of be on board with the process of, of continual improvement. Um, and then, you know, obviously as, as an auditor, um, I have to write my reports and um, do that in an objective way. So obviously I can't provide consultancy, but I have to remain impartial um, but also be aware of what the standard requires and if there are any gaps and identifying those gaps, uh, whether they be an opportunity for improvement, minor nonconformity or major nonconformity. Um, but understanding the company and helping them understand where the gap uh, is, is really key. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's it. So that's a sort of general process then as a, as a lead auditor. Now, I'm interested about the uh, the company eServe, which we've featured uh, in the podcast. Yep. Could you take us through that auditing process with eServe? You know, what was involved? Who was involved? How long did the process take? That sort of thing. Okay. So eServe, um, I love eServe. They're a great company. And um, I work quite closely with uh, Fiona and Damien. Um, for me, surf um, when we're doing the audits. So I only audit them for ISO twenty seven thousand and one, but they do actually have multiple um, ISO standards uh, with BSI. So they're a very uh, um, loyal customer to us, and it's important to to maintain that client relationship. And and to be honest, it's actually quite easy with with eSurf on my behalf because they're a they're a great team, and we get on really well. Um, as a company, they're not afraid of making those improvements and having those um, gaps identified. Um, I must say as well, uh, their supplier management uh, in terms of uh, ISO 27001, uh, it's the best I've seen. It's been developed in-house by Damien. He's done absolute wonders with it. Um, so, you know, they we have fun 
um, but we remain professional and I hope that I provide the right tone and environment um, for their staff as well so that they feel comfortable to talk with me because that's really a, a key sort of um, attribute to have, being able to communicate to pe- uh, with people um, and making them feel at ease, especially in an audit environment. Um, I think past experience they've had with other auditors have has, has really sort of, you know, not been an easy process. Um, but my sort of technique is, is to make people feel comfortable and um, have a chat with them like I'm doing with you at the moment. So, yeah, it, it, we aim for that openness and honesty. Um, and I think that gets the best results all around, mm. to be honest. Um, and, you know, I'm in there, so I look after their 27,001 certification. I'm their point of contact, so um, it gives that sort of personal element as well. Um, and I manage their three-year cycle for ISO 27,001 certification. Um, so it's reviewed. So it's reviewed every three years. Yeah. And how long does the actual would a, would the sort of does the first audit take? How long does it uh, How long does it take to do? Well, it depends, to be honest. Um, ISO 27001 has its own durations calculator. So that's 27006. And we've got various um, sort of um, attributes that can be um, assigned to assessing risk level, uh, numbers of people that are in scope and the type of scope as well. So it's a, it's a bunch of factors <laughs> that then will determine um, minimum levels of durations. So, for example, stage one and stage two um, will be quite a lengthy process if you've got, you know, high risk or large numbers of people involved. And then we take a percentage of that in terms of the continual assessment visits. So that's the annual visit and then recertification as well. So um, I can't quite remember the numbers specifically for um eserve but you know i'm there for probably about two to three days on an annual visit um because they have an additional site as well mm-hmm. so, so if you were going from imagine uh, you know maybe eserve but maybe another organization mm. yeah you bought the standard you're using the standard you decide to go for certification once you made that decision to go for certification how long it would it normally take place how long would would uh, elapse between decided to go for it and receiving certification? Um, to be honest, um, I would say if you're looking to go for certification, um, we we have the ability to assess you before you go on to that sort of stage one element. So we've got pre-certification assessment. So that's just a good check to see if your management system is in place and identify any gaps before we start kind of official certification process. But from stage one to stage two, I would recommend no more than four to six months. I think if it's after six months, we would generally repeat stage one again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stage two would be performed um, within that sort of like time frame, um, ideally at about four months. Um, and then if stage two is complete and we're satisfied, um, then yeah, we we can recommend certification at that stage. So I would say you know a maximum of potentially six months between stage yeah. one and two to gain yeah. certification. 
And you mentioned there about obviously the time you spend with the company in developing that relationship. Yeah. But obviously, as an auditor, there is some some constructive challenge that comes in in here. Well, can you sort of talk me through? You know, what do you challenge the company on when you're doing the audit? What in terms of nonconformity? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if if I find a gap now, twenty seven thousand and one is quite unique. It's obviously got its uh, clauses four to ten, which follows that high level structure. Um, but we've also got an Annex A, which is fairly unique to the standard, um, which is um, a, a, a lot of controls basically, and a lot of them are IT based, but some of them cover um, HR and legal compliance. So there's quite a lot to assess um, in a in an audit for twenty seven thousand and one. So if I find that there's a gap, um, I'll raise it at the time, and then I'll talk through the gap and identify whether it falls under an opportunity for improvement, a minor nonconformity or major nonconformity, and I'll work with the client in order to you know justify the reasons why it would be one of those three types of gap. So it's getting them to understand where the um, nonconformity is and where the um, actual source of, of potentially why it's happening. Okay, so with eServe then, and maybe sort of pulling back to sort of other organisations, why, why do companies go through the process of certification? You know, what's in it for them? Oh, a whole host of reasons, really. Um I think it, it, it's it's quite focused on industry. Um, so some companies go for certification because, you know, there are, may actually not be any other companies in their vicinity that have got 27,001 certification. So it could provide them that unique selling point. Um, I've got a couple of clients that, that have pursued 27,001 because of that, that they want to be industry leaders. Um I think also it provides that level of assurance um, to clients and customers alike. Um, it provides the ability to see best practice being performed and that commitment to continual improvement. And I think there's another reason as well. And I think, you know, we're entering, well, we're in the digital age. Um, so having that assurance for information security security is is really important. Now, Amanda, we can't leave this conversation without talking about something else. <laughs> tell us tell us about rusted junk. Oh, rusted junk. Well, um, I present, uh, well, I'm part of uh, a team. There's me and my other half, Charles, and it was his passion to set up a podcast to talk about uh, the forgotten 1980s films. So um, he's a connoisseur of um, very obscure 80s films and obviously very popular 80s films as well. And uh, we just felt that it was a really good medium in order for me to kind of experience watching these movies and then talking about you know, what I think of them. So he's got a love of 80s movies and we've decided to to do Rusted Junk. So I think we've been going for oh, about 18 months now. We've recorded over 30 podcasts and we've 
just finished season three. Um, season four is uh, is upon us, but uh, we're going to shake things up and we're moving into uh, video uh, podcasting, but it will also remain um, as an audio uh, facility as well for those of our regular listeners. But uh, I think having that video element is really going to either make things better or make things worse. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's an unknown territory at the moment. So we're just getting jingles created, a video sort of ability and green screens, testing stuff at the moment. I'm trying to think how I can uh, manufacture appearance on your podcast now. Being a boy of the 80s, maybe yeah. I've got something to contribute. But can um, can listeners find Rusted Junk through all the normal podcast providers? Oh, yes. Yes. Even th- uh, so, yeah, or Spotify, you know, iTunes, all the main ones. And even if you ask your intelligent um always listening device that you might have in your kitchen or your uh, bedroom um so alexa google you know that kind of thing uh if you ask them to play rusted junk podcast it will we'll even put a link in the episode notes for oh, you thank you <laughs> cindy it's that time in the episode shall we have the standards desk of news let's do it Let standards put you in the driving seat. BSI committee chairs play a critical and rewarding part in the standards-making process. Chairs provide leadership, guide the consensus-building process, and help develop and set the committee's work programme. This voluntary position requires a higher level of commitment than the committee member role. Much of the work is done online, with most standards-making groups meeting a few times each year, currently virtually. If you enjoy enabling diverse groups of people to meet goals through collaboration and consensus, then BSI wants to hear from you. We currently have many committee chair vacancies available. Logging on to learn. A new standard for distance learning has recently been published. While the online education industry has been evolving for some time, it was in 2020 that it took on a whole new dimension. Webinars, seminars, courses, and educational programs of all kinds exploded onto the internet with new technology expectations and trends fueling its growth. The new standard ISO 29994 aims to facilitate the development and improvement of online education towards better quality programs and improved access for all. Finally, to boldly go where no standards have gone before. Last month saw the 60th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin becoming the first person to leave our planet. With extreme levels of accuracy required in all aspects of spaceflight, there are hundreds of international standards that are used by the major space agencies around the world, including NASA and the European Space Agency. ISO Technical Committee 20 and its subcommittees are always looking to improve standards and develop new ones that enable these successes, all of which benefit society as a whole. And that's the Standards Desk of News for this week. As always, you can find links to these stories in the episode notes. Are you a young engineer who wants to change the world through standards? Well, every year, BSI and its partners offer young engineers the chance to take part in the IEC Young Professionals Programme, All Expenses Paid. 
The program brings together the world's upcoming expert engineers, technicians, and managers, and provides them with opportunities to shape the future of international standardization in the field of electrotechnology. The next IEC Young Professionals program will take place in October 2021 in Dubai. Find out why you should apply at bsigroup.com forward slash education. So far in this episode, we've heard from eServe's Fiona Linton talking passionately about standards and certification in her organisation. And from Amanda Woodhead from BSI about certification and the role of the auditor in the process. To complete our look at certification, I spoke to Matt Gantley. Since 2018, Matt has been Chief Executive of UCAS, the UK Accreditation Service. But for the past 20 years, Matt's career has been associated with standards. He started in quality, environmental and health and safety consultancy and was involved in implementing management systems to the ISO 9001 and ISO 14001 standards and the forerunner to ISO 45001. He was commercial director for the certification body NISEC, involved in the application of key standards in the electrical, gas and renewable energy markets. And he was also managing director of NQA, a large global certification body that has a strong presence in aerospace and automotive. Now, with its origins dating back to 1966, UCAS is what's known as the National Apex Body legally appointed and recognised by government for bodies that provide calibration, testing, certification, inspection and verification, collectively known as conformity assessment. Although it's recognised by government, UCAS is an independent organisation. Its 19 guarantors include government, regulators, business associations and science and innovation institutes. Successive governments in the UK and abroad have encouraged the development of accredited certification as an alternative to and support for regulation across a wide variety of industries. I began by asking Matt to tell me what is meant by the term accreditation. Well, accreditation is a word that's uh, commonly used in society, but it also has a very specific meaning in the context of conformity assessment. And by that, I mean accreditation by UCAS means that conformity assessment bodies have achieved relevant British and international standards, demonstrating competence, impartiality and consistency. Accreditation is actually defined on in, a, in an international standard, ISO 17011, which is the standard for accreditation bodies accrediting conformity assessment bodies. And it is the ongoing formal recognition of the competence, impartiality and integrity of the conformity assessment body to perform specific conformity te- assessment tasks, such as testing, for example, COVID-19 antigen testing, inspection, for example, the engineering inspection of, a, for example, a, a passenger lift, um, for example, certification such as ISO 9001 quality management or product certification, such as the UK conformity assessment mark or the BSI kite mark. Um, or lastly, verification and validation, for example, the emissions trading scheme or the greenhouse gas emissions verification. Accreditation is the apex of the pyramid and it performs a public authority role on behalf of government, 
for society and industry. And accreditation performs an oversight role that underpins the quality, impartiality, competence of the certification process. Certification is an audit of whether an organization, a product, or an individual conforms to criteria laid out in a recognized standard or scheme, such as ISO 9001 quality management systems. There are three principal forms of certification. There are There is certification or scheme certification, which comes under standard, such as ISO 9000, uh, sorry, ISO 17065. And there is certification of personnel, which comes under ISO 17024. And there is certification of management systems, uh, management system certification, uh, which comes under 17021. And Matt, can you tell us about some of the sort of current and future big issues with regards to accreditation? We're closely working with the UK government, for example, on biometric and forensic science uh, developments for the Home Office, food and safety and quality for the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, carbon verification for the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, the Competent Person Scheme under the building regulations for the Ministry of Housing, Community and Local Government, the Competence of Gas Installers for the Health and Safety Executive, Medical Laboratories and Diagnostic Imaging for the Department of Health and Social Care, GDPR, General Data Protection Requirements for the uh, for the Information Commissioner's Office, and now the UK Conformity Assessment Mark for the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Our thanks to Fiona Linton, Amanda Woodhead and Matt Gantley for their contributions to this episode. To find out more about standards and certification, check out the links in the episode notes. And so that we can gain our own version of third-party certification, make sure you rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. You just heard a stripped media production. 